I've got my water cheaper, so you need one. Kia everybody, what's up? It is Rebet, and I'm joined by Richard Delabarca. How are you, my friend? I'm very good, thank you. Very good. Let's let's get straight into it. You are a big heavy hitter in the world of New Zealand business. You may you may not be seen so much publicly as as, as many others, but let's just go through some of these. Non-executive director, Auckland Blues, Border NZ Rugby, uh, chairman and co-founder Pocketwise, non-executive director of Harmony, and the CEO of New Zealand Venture Investment Fund. So just a couple of things. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> and father of three young kids who may or may not come running through this door, by the way, so I apologize if that interferes. Um, trust me, we've, uh, with the way I think the world is working now, everyone is used to absolutely everything. All right. Yeah. Uh, what, how intense has your emails and phones been going off for all the different things you're involved with in the last two weeks where's everyone's headspace at and at a board level how are you navigating the priorities of what you know needs to happen yeah gee those are not trivial questions are they um <laughs> yeah that's why i told you to get the whiskey <laughs> yeah there we go um, okay we, we'll start we'll start one back we'll start, yeah where where are you in house things <laughs> I'm very good, thank you. I think to answer your question, look, uh, the um, well, the intensity of everything is just off the scale, isn't it? Um, it's quite remarkable times we're going through, and I'm sure everyone else you've spoken to says, um, and, and very difficult times because uh, look, it's unprecedented what's happened. The world has literally stopped. Um, if I look at you know New Zealand rugby, for example, the the economic model underpinning rugby has collapsed within a couple of weeks. I mean. Uh, we can't play games. You can't have crowds attend. Um, that is very challenging for your broadcaster. Um, it's very challenging for your sponsors. Uh, and certainly, you know, a good chunk of our revenue comes from gate taking. So you, you go from a $200 million uh, business to, well, we're, the other thing is we're quite uncertain where, um, where you resume business. Um, so the uncertainty about what you can do in the future is also challenging. And, um, you know, the same thing, uh, you know, with, with Harmony, the consumer lender. Um, we've just raised a significant amount of equity in October last year. So really well positioned going into this. I, I'd hate to have been uh, have this occur before we raised that money. So we're, we've got a great team and a great amount of capital behind us, but you know, a lot of uncertainty around uh, economic conditions and, and when the world will come out of this. Yeah, it's a funky one too, because obviously mm. from, the, from the dollar side, every single day can be can be worth you know in the the tens if not hundreds of thousands of dollars for every single mm -hmm. cash flow and PL potentially with what's going to come back online mm -hmm. and then and then you almost get to have to almost roll the dice thinking about what's going to get staged at what time to come back back in the funnel and then you probably yes. need to simultaneously we were lucky enough we had the bro from um uh sean the ceo of uh, sbs bank on uh, mm -hmm. earlier today and just saying you know like there's only so much wiggle room that you know each sort of business has and then have, trying to balance that the entire time when there's when there's you know lives and mortgages on on the ropes and what the government's been doing he was mm -hmm. you know obviously with the, the new um they're coming out saying that you know lending up to five hundred thousand dollars for these businesses um capped it i think it was up to eighty percent the government would sort of kick it back at and you think of all these sort of things but then simultaneously you stop and you're like shit if the the business could be you know dead in six months Alive in three, at what mm. point is like is 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 death day or go day or pause or whatever? How have mm. you navigated the um have you navigated the I guess the 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 virtual emotional balancing of leaders? You know, like you obviously sit on boards, CEOs talk to mm. you all these other execs, and now as I'm imagining Tom as, as a board position, it's it's 
how are you supporting your leaders in these different organizations? How are you navigating that? Because I'm, I'm sure you're getting phone calls at all, all to middle, <laughs> middle of the night and, and a million different time zones. How are you navigating all that? Uh, look, I think the, the first thing is, um, and I had the, I guess, misfortune of going through the GFC where I was uh, co-founder of a company where we went from 380 people to 40 people, which was, a very, which was a very brutal life experience. And every one of those 380 people I'd hired, I personally knew their partners and their kids and, and we'd built a company over eight years. So, um, look, I, I, I think the first thing I try to do and I have tried to do is just remain calm. You know, these are not, you've, you've just got to remain calm and work through problems. And I think the biggest challenge I've seen is uncertainty, you know, uncertainty for CEOs, uh, uncertainty for employees, um, just uncertainty about when life can restart, you know, both socially. You know, when can I get out of this house? And, uh, you know, when can business restart? Um, You're missing some beers with the boys, mate. <laughs> yeah, um, we got a few street beers today, actually. We're going to do that. Um, but, you know, one of the challenges is if you're trying to financially model, you know, scenarios going forward, because, you know, everyone's looking at their business now and their cost structure and saying, well, you know, um, can I reduce headcount? Can I reduce salaries? Can I reduce, you know, variable and fixed costs? Um, but also, you just don't know when life restarts, and, and that's mm. the biggest challenge, the uncertainty. So you can you can model a hundred different scenarios, but you don't know which one's going to apply. Yeah, and so I think that's a really difficult uh, thing to juggle for CEOs and for boards. Um, you know, in my day job, I run the New Zealand Growth Capital Partners Fund, which is a sort of four hundred thirty million dollar fund. We've got two hundred sixty portfolio companies, all early stage technology companies, and huge degree of uncertainty for those uh, a lot of those companies um you know they rely on future funding in most respects and many of them you know so they are largely pre-revenue um so there's uncertainty for them whether they can raise further capital to get through this um for companies that have got sort of early revenues um many of them are sort of in the product development phase with with customers as opposed to a product line so you know, enterprises are cutting back on product development and just focusing on core revenue streams. So that's a real impact on, on those companies. So just real uncertainty, I think, is a real challenge. Yeah, maybe just that tech space for a second. Obviously, mm. a lot of these businesses, especially in the B2B, you know, SaaS-type play environments, all of those different types of onboarding, which have directly um, uh, changed the valuation of these companies, would have almost mm. gone to zero overnight and so many of these different things. And, you know, and, and when these different... I guess systems push pause, they must just get like how do you even value that? I mean, you either have to exactly to your point bring on more investment and in, in what dilute your way out of it or grow you out of it, right? Based on where they're at for their different customer base, that's going to be tough for these founders to, to get through, right? What where, what are you telling what are you telling them right now? Well, that's um, I've literally got a call in an hour with a company that's uh, and I won't disclose who it is. They had a hundred million dollars of revenue, which has gone to zero in four weeks. Their entire their entire business. Uh, yes, yeah. Now, they're, they're one, they're trying to figure out how to pivot to become a, a virtual, well, it's it's a it's a, it's a a business uh, centred around um, the gatherings of people. Got it. Um, uh, so, obviously, that's off the agenda. And so, they're trying to figure out how to become virtual. But, you know, the brutal reality of that is, uh, one, they have a concern about uh, cash. So, how do they... Yep. How they have a cash runway to get through the next 18, 24 months. Um, I certainly valuation of that business is a concern, but the reality is, you know, ongoing viability of the business is the first concern. Um, but I think valuation also impacts existing investors. So if you've gone and invested in a company at $200 million and all of a sudden that, that, that business is now worth zero or close to it, that's a massive issue for investors to deal with as well. So do they double down and try and continue through this or do they cut their losses and run? Um, and they're probably managing any number of portfolio companies as well going through the same scenario. So the the the, the downstream effects of this are quite catastrophic, actually. 
Totally um, yeah, just then from an investor side, right? Like, yeah. you, you know, you place a whole bunch of small little bets all over the show. Yeah. Your company's valued, yeah, 100 million overnight, it's worth zero. And yeah. then if you're trying to, you know, dilute your way out of it instead of grow, if you don't have the customers already, then those first round yeah. guys are just going to get pumped. I guess they're going to get first dibs yeah. at it, but it's like, wait a second. So I had to flip and chuck in 10 mil at this valuation, and now I've got to do that for, for what? <laughs> so yeah. at what point do you think, okay, let's not say the founders, but the investors in, in these yeah. groups, Will their initial kickoff for the next 12 months say, okay, what is essential services or those that can pivot that will still be relevant and viable in, in the market mm. today? And mm. then literally everything else, we don't have the cash flow to support it because the world's, we don't know when that world's coming back. Like where's mm. the headspace at from an investor's side? Because I can almost imagine mm. that's probably the only move you can do because you they won't have the cash flow to, to, to hold up a bunch of these companies who can't get customers within the next 12 months, surely, right? Yeah, look, I think there's there's multiple questions there. I mean, you know, if, if you assume a traditional fund, one of their challenges will be, will their investors into that fund continue to give them money to invest? So they may well be facing consequences with investors pulling their money out of their fund. So that's that's one thing to consider for them. I think the second thing is, you know, a traditional uh, PE or VC with, let's say, between 15 and 25 investments, they will be now trying to um, consider their portfolio and triage and figure out which ones they allocate their remaining capital into to, to save or create value. And um, it'll be quite a brutal exercise, uh, brutal for everybody. Um, yeah. And, you know, a number of companies will get closed down or go into skeleton staff. Um, you know, our approach we're taking with companies we're looking at at the moment, our portfolio or new companies coming to us is, you know, can we ensure they're funded through the next 18 or 24 months, uh, assuming no revenue? So can we cover their cost structure for 18 to 24 months? Um, and also is, is the group of co-investors we're investing in, um, are they, do they have significant balance sheets so at the end of 18 or 24 months, they can reinvest again and help rebuild the company or take it forward without getting external capital in. So we're not relying yeah. on the fact that external money will come in in the next 24 months um, because that's a very uncertain bet. So, uh, so that's probably the thinking we're trying to apply at the moment. Because you almost wonder from the other side, a lot of investors are going to, have to you know, put that filter through to see what ones they let die and what ones continue on, or if they can restructure it to keep the existing mm. capital in the business to survive through to the other side without investment, so it doesn't get too devalued from the investor side. But mm. on the other side, I'm kind of thinking about it. If I was, you know, if you had a, you know, a couple hundred million roll around, obviously, which you do, and you're looking at it another way, I'm imagining one of the the, the strategies of some of these crew will be like, okay. What IP can I get for cents on the dollar? What great talent can I get on cents? Of the way cheaper that that will be free and, and clear and pull together at, a, at some type of new portfolio of either thinking or IP or brand to to to, to wait it out. Is that would that be some of the that, would that be some of the thinking that some of the investors might have to to think of it to actually come through and just roll up a whole bunch of shit, which is now going to be cheaper. Uh, look, no doubt, I'm I'm naturally an optimist, so I, you know I see these these. Uh these uh, crises or environments is a great opportunity. And so yeah, if you look at some of the great companies that came out of uh, the GFC in 2007, 2008, um, you know, there's a huge amount of value to be created. And a lot of VCs made a lot of money out of that period because they had balance sheets to invest in either new opportunities. Um, and also when you're starting a business, it's a lot cheaper to start a business. You know, labor is probably cheaper than what it was 12 to 24 months ago. And everything around building a business is probably a lot cheaper. Mm. Um, there will be a lot of opportunities. There'll be a lot of change. You know, a lot of business models will collapse and be rebuilt in a different way. Um, and as you said, there'll be a lot of assets that were previously valued at probably loftier valuations they deserve, which will now be a lot cheaper. And one of the unfortunate rules I learned going through the last GFC was he who has the, uh, the capital 
um, defines the capital structure going forward. And yeah. uh, so last money in defines the capital structure. And in many cases, unfortunately, if you're an early investor and you can't follow your money, you'll probably get wiped out and the, the opportunity to be recapitalized. That'll be some of the consequences of this, unfortunately. Yeah. It's it, a friend of mine's in the um, real estate game up the food chain. And he was just saying, um, he was like, mate, mil- millionaires are stressing, billionaires are hyped. <laughs> and I was, I was like, why? He's like, well, think about it. You know, like the millionaires are buying and flipping every year or two and this and that. And the billionaires, they, they, so the other guys are playing the year, a yearly game. And then the billionaires, they play decades. So they, yep. they, they, they last played really heavy, exactly to, to your point. Mm. Uh, Rich, like 08, 09, come through, steamroll a whole bunch of shit, and, you know, distressed assets, rolled up. Mm. They had enough cash flow to see it out to the other side, and then they get the wins. Mm. And then, yeah, it's a, and he was like, exact, maybe exactly to your point as well, it's the mindset that they take into it with how, how, do they, appro- how do they approach that. Mm-hmm. Um, I've got a, a bro here, Tim. Oh, Tim, what's up, Tim? A CEO and co-founder of Ambit says, "I love love to hear mm-hmm. what new approaches um, uh, VIF is using to help companies right now." There you go, Timbo. Uh, that's yep. a good question, Tim. New approaches. Look, I think. Um, well, uh, well, there's we have two two um, two programs. One is the seed fund, which we invest in you know, early stage startups, and that's got about fifteen million dollars of cash. Our our challenge with our model there, and so we don't really have a new approach as such. Forgive me. One of my kids is, is going to kill him. Hey, bud. What's, what's don't worry about the it. The blues. You go play. That's right. Um, yeah, we've had all sorts on the show, bro. Don't I'm, stress. I'm sure we have. That's right. Look, um, I, look, I don't think we're, we're – uh, there's nothing new we're doing. We're just still open for business, which I think uh, if you look at a lot of the private institutions and high net worths and angel investors, it's probably not the case in New Zealand right now. A lot of people are a lot more cautious. The challenge for us is we have a, a cap of about $12 million we can invest per year. I think our year ends June 30th this year, so we've invested about $9.3 million. About a million dollars in the last week, I would add two five hundred thousand dollar investments. So, our challenge is twofold. One will probably hit the cap sooner than the end of the year because of just increased deal flow and demands. And the second challenge is that ours is a public private model. So, for example, making the numbers up, if we want to invest five hundred thousand dollars in the company, we need the private sector to contribute five hundred thousand dollars in that round in that round as well. So. Um, if the private sector drops back to $100,000 going to that company, the maximum we can invest is $100,000, even though we may have a higher conviction for the opportunity. So yep, that's, all the that's cash in there. Yep. exactly all the cash in there. So that's a challenge around our model. Mm-hmm. And on the venture side of things, we've just launched the Elevate Venture Fund, which is a $300 million fund of funds. So we invest in new funds. Um, we've only been going a month, and actually we've got 11 applications in that program already, which is far more than we anticipated. So it's very positive for the ecosystem. Um, and a number of those funds appear to have already raised private capital or very close to it. So we're hopeful that we can work with those to allocate capital into them such that they can get into the ecosystem and start investing. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, hopefully we'll have that done by June. You know, there are certain processes as a, as a government entity you have to work through with public money. Um, but that's 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 uh, um, that's what we're trying to achieve there. So, um, yeah, I don't think there's anything new there, but, um, yeah, we're, we're open for business and continuing to the extent we can within our mandates. There you go, Timbo's um, absolute, yeah, good bastard at the career. Um, and, but uh, Anthony uh, McNaughton, oh, the bro. Uh, hey, Robert, investors are critically assessing existing portfolios, uh, looking at which companies to support and which ones to cut funding. At the same time, some VCs and family offices have substantial cash on hand and are using this as an opportunity to make some great investments at more attractive valuations. He's the bro. Look, I can only just concur with that. That's, that's yeah. probably, we're seeing early signs of that. And no doubt, to our earlier point, those with uh, capital, will uh, probably make, have some great opportunities to invest in some very good valuations. What sector are you most worried about? 
out of all like zoom zoom out from investments look at nz mm. to the world what's the what's the bit that you're just like oh shit and maybe not so much just for the mm. next year but 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 that could potentially change the course of history for a certain vertical industry in new zealand um gosh that's a big question isn't it uh so what, that's I, what i'm I, here to do mate professional I, I, I think the – let me try and probably not answer the question very well for you, but what's been remarkable for me is how, how much every – almost every strand of the economy has been impacted by this, but also the speed of which it's been impacted. Like, mm. yeah, in, in New Zealand's gone from a $6 billion revenue business to – right? Different, so, yeah, $500 mil, whatever, like five hundred yeah, million the books. Yeah, you know, New Zealand rugby, boom, our business model's essentially collapsed. Every, every sporting organisation's essentially collapsed, the NRL, the AFL, EPL. Um uh, look, hey, you want to be in the food food business at the moment, clearly. You want to be in the supermarket business, um, you know, essentials, we essentials electricity, water. Um, so you know, as low shit, just go straight to like yeah. housing, food, flipping hospitals, water. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, retail hospitality, you know, just devastated overnight, haven't they? So um, very challenging. Uh, look, I, I would say um, we should give credit to the government. I think their leadership and the agility they've led um, has been quite remarkable. And, you know, I'm, I'm working with the government on a few things and super impressed with how, dig, how deep they're digging in their pockets to help the economy and recognising that the economy and business is quite important to getting out of this as well. Yeah, I was um, going to ask you about that because the first wave went straight yeah. to the em em employers, I guess, and then the second yeah. wave coming for the for the, for the employees. Um, yeah. Not employees, first employers now. Uh, the the timing, because from the outside, when you look at it, when the moves of, you know, this is going to happen and then there's going to be this for the business, this is going to happen, this is going to be for the employees. The timing of how they've placed each piece has really managed to keep a, a pretty unified level of calm with the headspaces, not only from the public, but also um, the from employees and em employer side. How have you, what's been the the one thing you think that New Zealand's done really good compared to other parts of the world that you're just like shit i'm so pumped that she did this or, or that the crew did that what, what's the bit that you've just been like on it oh i think there's 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 a number of parts to be honest i think uh, our prime minister has been extraordinary in this time um so full credit there i think grant robinson's been extraordinary as well um and adrian Orr. Uh, I think, as I said, I think the agility of which they've moved and been responsive has been really impressive. And, and some of the things I see can, uh, continue to be impressive. I'll, I'll just give you a working example. Like uh, I was party to an email that went to Adrian Orr at, let's say, 3 o'clock on Sunday afternoon, uh, so two days ago. Don't, don't was, get yourself told off, mate. I don't want, <laughs> I, I don't want anyone to file this shit. <laughs> no, no, no. But he, he, had, he responded to that within 20 minutes on a Sunday afternoon and copied a number of people in, and there was action following from that on Monday morning. Um, and this is the governor of the Reserve Bank. So, um, look, I just think it's just been every response has been super impressive. And I'm sure with the benefit of hindsight, they haven't got everything right, but um, they've done a very, very good job. And and they're very open to ideas and initiatives from the private sector to help them through this as well. Um, yeah, it's, which it I sounds, think it's really impressive as well. It sounds like there's been a, a few crew that have been pulled in for just a mm. few pretty quick chats at the top to to, mm. to ask them stuff and that which is which is quite cool to see it's very it doesn't feel like it's been we're here to save this a stuck you this is the way it's done it's genuinely like hey would this make sense if we did this hey what yep. do you think about that yep that's my yeah, that's, that's, that's really cool mm. dude flipping jacinda's gonna have the hell book to write in about 10 years <laughs> <laughs> just had to deal with this this shit this yeah. shit this shit this shit yeah this shit. <laughs> yeah. yeah it's quite remarkable actually isn't it but uh you're gonna predict it 
no, they, 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 I think I think everyone in, in government and official them, by the way, you know, the people under ministers, the officials, uh, just working tremendously hard and, and doing, I think, a great job. Um, Anthony jumped back in because he's a bit of a money weapon himself. Um, mm. a vulnerable sector, banking in Europe. Some banks have not fully recovered from the GFC. Margins have been squeezed. Bad debts will be uh, rising. Potential for another credit crisis. Need for a massive consolidation as markets like Italy and Germany are incredibly fragmented. Yep. Yeah, look, just way above my pay grade. But you'd have to, you'd have, to, <laughs> you'd have to, you'd have to concur with that, wouldn't you? I mean, what I think struck me, um, the GFC was a financial markets crisis. Um, this is a sort of real world, real asset crisis, real businesses, and I think the flow on will impact the banking sector and the financial markets in due course. Um, again, I think the, the government's doing a great job of supporting the banking system, at least the. The licensed banking system, I think non-bank lenders are next in line and they'll need a huge amount of support as well. But um, I, I, again, I think in New Zealand we're, we're reasonably well-placed with the, the very well-capitalised banks and a pretty sound structure, you'd hope. But we are a little boat floating on a big sea and so yeah. whatever happens offshore is going to no doubt impact on us. Probably exactly to that point, one of the things both um, we're talking about uh, earlier today was the idea of after this is going to be this probably big push to I'm corner like you know uh, hyper local resiliency mm -hmm. <laughs> around you know supporting the mega local cafe blah blah, blah. and then talking to uh, Carmen before from Velocity she said well if everyone if every country does the exact same thing are they actually essentially going to build up virtual walls against what else could be there for the rest of the world and mm -hmm. how do you think New Zealand then navigates to be resilient to ourselves but still open for business to everyone else when they'll probably be thinking the same thing because it's going to be kind of like a funky political tango between we're all in this together because we're human but at the same time i need to look out for number one but at the same time i need your money to help survive like that there's going to be this weird i'm predicting this this funky tension that's going to happen at the top what's your what's your buzz there yeah, look, I think, um, so, well, two takeaways on that. I think, you know, everyone at the moment is talking about community and, and supporting your local suppliers, and, and I think that's great, and I really hope that when we go back to normal that that actually you do see behavioural change, um, you know, a whole pile of things here. And I hope we just don't revert to type and time, uh, you know, from a sort of social, the way we operate socially. I think I, I agree with Carmen, real concerns, like I saw something on, um, I can't remember what it was, but... It was essentially one of the leaders in the US talking about the fact that they've become overly reliant on the offshore markets to supply them with core things like yeah. uh, respirators and masks and all those things, and they need to you know, go back to American-made. So very much reinforcing the uh, the Trump agenda. Um, and you do feel like around the world that that it, those similar agendas uh, have got more weight now in those conversations, and, and that could impact sort of you know globalization and free trade and things like that. Because it, it it can for, for for many that are running those political games, it can hide the, hide the guise of togetherness and resiliency, but in reality, it's just the power shift back to build Detroit two point really, right? Yes, yeah. Look, these are all about politics and powers and people, aren't they? Um, I know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, there'd be a concern, and you know, as a country, which I, I think we're a net exporter, uh, you know, I think we rely on overseas trade quite significantly. Um, that could be a challenge for us. I, I just don't know where that will be, but that that could be a challenge. So let's go back to something which we're both very extremely ridiculously passionate about: not mm. alcohol, not whiskey, especially not mm. you with the whiskey. Sport. Sport. Yes. So we had um we had Budgie on the show uh on Friday and he, and he was wondering you know at, at at what point does the government actually step in to realize you know that there needs to be 
a, a more collective approach to bringing this thing back? Is the model broken? How does it all shift? And for those obviously who, who uh, don't know the the one hundred ones to this thing, in a nutshell, um, when there is no sport, no players get paid, no TV gets created, no content gets done, no ads get sold. Absolutely everything goes to zero, regardless. Even if you uh, the All Blacks, if no one can even play, right? How did how do you think at a macro level this has impacted sport globally? financially and how where does the new world of sport actually sit because it's almost going to shake the entire tree to rebuild from the ground back up not just for rugby for absolutely everything of what you what you said how's this stuffed up sport oh look it's been um i hope i'm not being dramatic but it's been quite catastrophic to the economic model if if uh, well, one, I would correct you on what you've just said in a way. You know, ga- games stop, um, you know, players don't get paid, staff don't get paid, et cetera, et cetera. Actually, what happens is your revenue is very variable, but some, a lot of your cost structure is fixed. So, do you still have to pay the players, even yeah, without playing? Um, yeah, well, yes, you do, because they're, they're employees. Right? It's like you're, you're paying someone a salary. So, so who fronts that, the, t- the TV rights? How does that no, no. So, look, if you, I'm being very simplistic. So, these right. aren't macro numbers, but let's assume you earn $100 a year and a third of that comes from broadcast, a third from gates, and a third from sponsors. Well, you've had someone like Sky who's, you know, going yeah. through some very difficult times. And, and so, uh, they've been a massive supporter of New Zealand rugby and continue to be. But, um, you know, they're, they're facing a challenge model at the moment because they can't provide their subscribers with live content, with mm. content, which people pay for. But I understand um, subscribers have been very supportive to them, which is great to hear. You know, a third of the revenue is maybe gate from playing games, but obviously you're not playing games, so you've got no mm-hmm. gate. Uh, and then a third of your revenue is from sponsors. So, and quite rightly, a lot of sponsors are in distress as well. So they're looking at, you know, are we getting the um, exposure we pay for? And, you know, is there a force majeure clause or should we have a rediscussion? So, you know, we're, 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 um, we're promoting yeah. everything at the moment, however we can. Um, the PR team's not watching this, mate. It's fine. No, no, I think my mum's tuned in. It's fine. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, the flip side is you've got to, I'll make it up again, $100 of cost structure, and a lot of that is fixed, right? Um, a lot of that is, you know, paying players, uh, playing staff, um, supporting the provincial unions, supporting the super clubs. Uh, and these aren't costs that go away overnight, uh, although you, you, a lot of your revenue has. So that's the challenge you've got is you've got to go back and address your cost structure. And as Mark Robinson said at New Zealand Rugby CEO, and he's doing a tremendous job, by the way, remarkable job. Uh, unfortunately, everyone's got to share the burden. And so that's, those are very challenging discussions to go through with everybody. Um, and that's what you've got to work through. And But, yeah, rugby will come out of this. You know, they've gone through some, you know, Great Depression, World Wars, and, and rugby will come back. And I think the great thing, uh, if there is a good thing at the moment, is it seems to have unified rugby in the rugby community. Um, How so? Uh, for the greater good. You know, everyone everyone has their own uh, agendas and their own corners that they're, they're, they're boxing for. But at the end of the day, everyone's coming together to support New Zealand Inc. and New Zealand rugby to get the sport through. And um, I think the other thing that's become really interesting for us to observe is actually I think the general community has appreciated how important um, – live events are to them, be they, be they arts, culture, sports, you know, the ability to socially gather and, and yeah. follow a sport or go to theatre or, you know, all these things. I think we're going to, I hope we'll have an appreciation of how important they are and and I hope we'll see that in New Zealand rugby, see greater crowds coming to support club club rugby, uh, schools, uh, our provincial unions and, you know, super clubs and the All Blacks. Um, and I think, you know, the All Black brand is a, I think it's a really important brand to New Zealand Inc. and New Zealand. I think it's probably the greatest brand we have globally. And, um, mm. you know, I hope we can help the government and New Zealand Inc. Uh, do our small part to get us back on our feet as well. 
interesting point there about the experience side you know i've been thinking about will minimalism make more of a comeback will consumerism you know die down a little bit in terms of you know fast fashion retail shit and people are just like man let's go experience these things again and what what feels like it is happening it's been a it's a it's been a pause moment for humanity when we realize we miss people mm, yes. high fives handshakes yeah. beers eye contact yeah. sit down that human connection is so just yeah. intrinsically bound it's it's almost gone primal for as tech as it has mm. you know and right when it happened i i had a mini prediction and i sort of said you know i think we'll see the biggest wave of um music and artists and comedians and creatives all come out of this because when you put people that create into a confined space and just force them into a thing that's exactly what happens and all these sort of great ideas and innovation comes out of it so i think humanity humanity net net hopefully will come out of it with with new ways to think about it and, and approach but from the from a sports side mm. nationally mm. say maybe you say nationally how mm -hmm. do you rebuild financially do you change the model? Do you look at like how do you how do you even approach a like how do you strategically approach rebuilding an entire thing back from arguably pause if not zero at this very second? How do you do it? Yeah, look, I think that's a great great question, and there's there's a couple of components. I'd say is um, yeah, first you got to get through this year, and New Zealand rugby will get through this year, and we'll come out with cash um, in the bank, and you know we need that because we we think next year will be very difficult. So, for example, if we're in level two for let's say twelve to eighteen months, or there's no international travel, that means a very limited agenda for us to generate revenue from the All Blacks, for example, with international test matches. So, we're trying to think through two thousand twenty-one and how we get the New Zealand rugby ecosystem through that as well, um, because I don't think our revenue levels will be next year what they were last year. Yeah, so, totally. uh, you know, we we can't think that we'll revert, we'll revert back to type. So there's a rebuild that's going to take time there. Um, I think, and so we have existing revenue streams of broadcast, uh, you know, gates and sponsorship. The other thing we've been working on for the last couple of years is really generating new revenue streams, you know, so non-traditional revenue streams. Uh, and so we've been searching around the world for things that we can do because this is this brand uh, is fantastic in that it, it transcends rugby and, and arguably it transcends sport as well uh, when you think about our high performance and what we've done over the last 100 years. So... We've got a number of ideas around new revenue streams and new business opportunities we can pursue with this brand that don't rely on us playing games. Um, yeah, and yeah, through a lot of digital channels are hopefully epically scalable as well. So if you think about the business model we've historically had, we've probably saturated a market of four and a half million people, but we've got a market of 7.8 billion people out there that we sh really should yep. be chasing. And so that that's the great opportunity to pursue. Um, you know, will we have the capital to fund ourselves into those new opportunities will be the challenge. Hmm. Um, so we want to we want to build new revenue streams to sit alongside the revenue streams we have to rebuild. I think the other thing is we're very asset light. In fact, we are incredibly asset light. If you think about it, um, yeah, you want to be the la you want to be the landlord, not the tenant, don't you? And at the moment, we're the tenant in, in many respects. So um, we've got we've got cash in our bank account, but we haven't got assets supporting our business. And so we've got to think through how we become a lot a lot more valuable in terms of assets such that we can we can weather the storm the next storm that will occur and these always come don't they so mm. that's a challenge to perhaps rebuild our business in a different way such that we become a lot more asset um asset orientated and, and build uh, more sustainable revenue streams where we're not reliant on external parties mm. 
It's a good good way to think about it. I was um, lucky enough. You NZ Rugby did its a twenty thirty big future looking project. Um, mm. I think it was like two years ago. So I was lucky enough to be in, in the room for for that. Mm. And you know, one of the things was the globalization of it. Look at you know American football mm. and basketball, blah blah blah. And then exactly when, what something just hit on. I think there, Rich, was the idea of you know if it's a global, if it's a global issue, it's almost it's also a global opportunity. Yes. Right. Yeah. Global challenge. We're all on the same boat. It's like, okay, well, how do how do you use this moment to redefine it? We, we were talking to um, uh, Clive Omerod, who's the CEO of Les Mills, and he was saying, "Mate, Ooh. our game plan didn't change at all. Our strategy was exactly the same. All that happened is we went f three years and three days, <laughs> three weeks, you know. And so yeah. then you kind of like, man, this is a great um, opportunity to be braver to to push a strategy forward with where you want to go and what you want to do potentially for for um what the the future of sport all blacks any business whatever can actually be right it's actually a massive opportunity depending on the mindset you take into it well i think that's right i, I would also suggest you don't have an option you've you've got yeah. to um you, you just don't have an option sorry excuse me no, you're uh, right. no, just do that um Playing games, they're playing games on my phone, so when it rings, they get a bit worried. Um, look, it, it, I think there's a great opportunity that will come out of this for New Zealand rugby, and, and we will get through this. Um, you know, the All Blacks will continue to be the premier rugby brand globally, and and you know, for us, we want to we want to rebuild the Super Competition. We think that could, that is the best rugby in the world. It's just probably not the best competition, and um, you know, we also have 26 provincial unions, which uh, you know, been the cornerstone of New Zealand rugby for the last hundred. Well, greater than 125 years, and and um, so we want to make sure that they're financially sustainable and can get through this and come out the other side as well. So this is we've got to think positively about this and just got to get through the short term, which we will. Yeah, I, th I think as soon as that, um, it's just amplified and sped up the the strategy f for taking the business to a new level. Right, that's that's all yeah. it's really done because these are the same conversations that were being had, you know, for a couple mm -hmm. of years now. So so it's almost mm -hmm. the perfect opportunity to be able to do it. Yeah. Um, before we go obviously i know you're tapped and you've got um the ceo of everyone ringing you right now to try and get your time <laughs> um what do you what gets you hopeful about this next wave for new zealand nz inc to the world you've got your fingers in sport and business and government all sorts of stuff like where's your what do you want to see have a dream scenario do your little flip and delabarca sprinkly dust shit what does what what does good look like yeah, no, the, well, I mean, my sort of passion is the reason I'm involved in New Zealand Growth Capital Partners or what was New Zealand Venture Fund is um, I've been in technology and startups since uh, 2003 when I started my own company over in the UK. And I've just been astounded by the quality of entrepreneurs coming out of New Zealand and the nonlinear growth in startups we're seeing. And so for me, you know, the big gap has always been the you know, getting the capital to these entrepreneurs to give them a chance to succeed on the global stage. And and hopefully what we're doing with New Zealand Growth Capital Partners is you know, contributing in a small way to, to helping these entrepreneurs. But I think the future, well, not the future of New Zealand, but a big chunk of New Zealand's success going forward will come from uh, the early stage ecosystem and the companies being built now. I mean, if you look back over the last 10 years, we've produced $12 billion companies. Not too many people know that. You know, the, we all know Zero and uh, Trade Me, but there's PushPay, there's Rocket Lab, uh, there's uh anaplan there's all birds all these ideas have come out in new zealand now multi-billion dollar companies so i think uh it's incumbent on us to you know support and build the next generation of entrepreneurs and get the right capital around them the right talent to see if we can grow more billion dollar companies out of this country and uh there's no doubt in the next 10 years we'll have more than 12 billion dollar companies come out this year if we do it right so i'm really I, I, new zealand's a great place to grow a business um and I, i'm really hopeful that i'll be a key part of uh, rebuilding new zealand after this yeah if you're a young buck 
in the tech game, mm. I think we were saying, you know, uh, tech was, uh, I think it's on track to be the second biggest export in New Zealand within the next 18 months or something. Um, what advice would you give a young buck now, right right now in this in this climate? You're a startup, you're a small business owner, you're looking at this world of tech and, and what's your, what would your two cents be to to those those crew? Uh, look, I think, uh, well, that's a good question, isn't it? Um, you know, one, this is a very viable career path. Um, you know, you may not get it right the first or second time, but, you know, statistically, fourth or fifth time is a high probability to succeed. I think the second thing is you need tremendous resilience in this. Um, and, you know, this will be very trying times, but there'll be a huge amount of opportunity come out of this. And, and New Zealand is now not too disadvantaged by its geographical dislocation here. So um, you can build some great companies out of New Zealand, as we've seen, um, and you just got to get out there and hustle and get on a plane. So it's a great, uh, a great, great uh, period, I think, to be an entrepreneur. Um, I'd certainly encourage that over being, no offence to lawyers or accountants or bankers, but, um, and it's a lot more fun, a lot more fun. Yeah, so... No, mega bro. Well, look, I appreciate your time, Rich. I know you're, um, you're tapped and you've got a million things to do. Um, we'll catch up soon for a beer. Be good. Stay out of trouble. And thanks for all you're doing for um, NZ, bro. It's mega. Yeah, no, thank you for the opportunity. And thanks for all you're doing for NZ, by the way, as well. I think these are, these hey, are great uh, people. I'm doing this and talking shit. This doesn't count as a national service, right, Rich? <laughs> Just desperate times call for desperate measures. So hey, we'll take everything we can yeah, get at the moment. Thank this you. Is, I win by default. I win by default. Yeah. <laughs> sure, yeah, brother. Yeah. See you soon, brother. Sure, Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Fucking big dog, Richard Delabarca. Board of flipping everything. Um, yeah, awesome time to, to, to get in the mix. And I think the mindset piece is really interesting with what Richard's talking about with how you approach things. Really cool. Really cool. Uh, Colleen Edwards says, great conversation. Good chat. Uh, awesome. Good work, Tim. Uh, thanks to Tim for tuning in, Anthony, um, for your two cents. As usual, it's really appreciated. Um, those who don't know, Anthony McNaughton, absolute weapon, and, and, and Boss Dogger in the investment space knows a thing or two as well. So big up to um, Rich, Mr. Dallabarker, joining us today. Uh, man, heavy day. Brains left, right, and center. It's been flipping great. Um, what a good bastard. I'll be saying, he's got a big thing. He actually can't have whiskey, so that's why I was drinking on his behalf. See you soon, team. Adios. Uh, deuces.